It is Tour Live. It's Neil Atkinson. I've got with me John Gibbons. I've got Sean Rogers over the uh, internet, frankly. I mean, I wasn't quite <laughs> sure what my word was there. And I've got Robbie O'Neill as well, also via the internet. You'll have heard of that uh, these days. We're going to talk about West Ham, the manager's press conference. We're going to get on to Nottingham Forest, Liverpool going off to the city grounds on Saturday for the first time in God knows how long in a Premier League occasion. And we've got coming up as well, Leila Wright spoke to John Gibbons on the Panorama documentary about the Champions League final. And Lauren Lo-Sung spoke to Harriet Pryor about Low Life's return to the Williamson Tunnels for a Halloween special. They're my favourite specials, the Halloween specials. <laughs> They're on television programmes. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Good, good specials, uh, those ones. I don't like Christmas specials to become too cloying, if you know what I mean. What other specials are there, really? Not really Easter specials, is there, these days? Maybe maybe you could bring them back. Valentine's Day specials? Yeah, they're, they're, they're there. They're there and thereabouts. Uh, so they're, they're, anyway, Halloween, the best one, and it will be the best one on the Saturday the 29th of October in the Williamson Tunnels. But all of that is to come if you listen to this as a podcast. If you are watching it on Tour Live, you're not going to get those middle bits, so maybe you'll, you'll do belt and braces and come back round. But we are going to get stuck into West Ham United first and foremost and Robbie. Darwin Nunez, it was it was wonderful to see. He was just so exciting. I mean, this is this is not you know this is not some sort of sophisticated football chatter. Uh, effectively, a football match happened, and one man very much for fifty five minutes dominated the football match. It was absolutely compelling. Loved him to pieces. He's like he's like a six foot three Kevin Keegan. <laughs> <laughs> he's, his enthusiasm holds no bounds, and I think that's the thing that really like. That really jumps out for me is like when when he's on the pitch, it's like I think the other night you just he just you could just see that he just, he was thriving just on being there and just just having the crowd backing him. It, um, he's 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 such a maverick that it, it's mad because you can't kind of like you just can't place him in, in a box, can you? Because in in many ways he looks like you know he's just like a like a typical target man, which kind of his goal kind of points to, but. <laughs> it's just the audacity of some of the things he's trying. And what I love about him is it's like it's like strong. He doesn't care if he's like if he's gonna if he fucks it up. He just wants he just wants to fucking try things out. It's like strong but wrong sometimes. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> even the other night that ship against City, it was like I don't give a fuck. I like the idea of this. You know what I mean? It goes tits up. But then you see the other night how mercurial he can be. Like that second effort where he took it on his chest and hit it on the half volley was just. Like that was, I mean, it was Suarez esque, and I'm not like referring that to that just because of like the shared nationality. It was, it, it, it's just the flair of him. He, he's like, in many ways, it, it he's kind of like, I'm not saying he's like, you know, he's kind of proven his price tag or anything like that. But he's the type when players like that are the type of player that you want to see playing for your football team who can excite you. And who can just like take something out of nothing? And he, yeah, it's, it's just a maverick. I, I loved, I loved watching him. Loved it. Uh- that, Robbie's just framed that there in a really interesting way, John, because what actually occurred to me when Robbie was talking was I certainly wouldn't want to watch him play for any other football team and not one I was about to play. That would be one of my takeaways. I'd be going, I want no part of this. Can this stay away from us, please? Because that was, imagine being Steve Cook and he is the, he is the Nottingham Forest defender I pick on at all times. Uh, though it is worth remembering he's younger than Craig Hannon. Uh, imagine being Steve Cook uh, with this about to come to your gaff at the weekend. You'd just be thinking, I'm all right, thanks. Well, you, you noticed that I thought with West Ham when he went off and I uh, you know, I mean, we went sort of slightly more defensive, but I think I think generally their defenders was like it was a big relief. Do you know what I mean? And they and they stepped up a little bit, and and you know, 
gone into sort of the game a little bit more. I mean, it wasn't the only sub, so it's hard to sort of pin it on too much. But I certainly think the defenders were like, still like, they could push up a couple of yards. I think yeah. they could put the line where they wanted to put the line. Yeah, and I think because he doesn't give you in a minute's piece, and, and with everything that he's doing, his, his movement's so good off the ball, his, his Harry and I thought impressing was was really impressive, and, and he's just always trying to score um, in a sort of really basic way that that, that I'm into. He's, he's just always trying to score. And yeah, I, I thought it was a really good performance. It was interesting, Jürgen mentioned something um, that I'd, I'd sort of forgotten because it was a bit of a, it was a bit of a throwaway statement, but um, I've, I've just sort of recalled it, you know, before, before this, looking at the um, the agenda, is it was either before the, the West Ham game, or it might have even been before the, the, the City game. But he talked about Darwin Nunes, and he says he he definitely feels part of the group now. And I think that was, you know, as I say, I didn't think too much of it when he said it. But I think you know what Jürgen's saying there is he's, he's feeling a lot more comfortable around his teammates, so uh, you know, with the shirts and stuff like that. And and I think you saw that on Wednesday. You know, you you, you compare it to. You know the Palace game where he's yeah. so he's getting so frustrated, and he's so desperate to impress the that he had put someone. Um, but you know, which isn't the ideal way to deal with any stress, uh, boys and girls. Um, but um, but I think <laughs> mainly speaking to my own children, to be honest with you, Ted, breathe. Um, but I think, but but now you know it's interesting. As I say, in the, I'm sure it was the build up to West Ham that Jurgen says you know he's very much he, he feels part of the group now, and and you could see that you could I enjoyed how much they were encouraging each other and and they're encouraging him to to be himself really and to express himself in the way that he does because I think they feel confident that the the more the more we can get Darwin Nunes Darwin Nunesing, um, the more dangerous it's going to be for the opposition. There's there's something where I feel as though. He's getting used to them, and they're also getting used to him, Sean. Uh, constantly, I thought Henderson repeatedly is looking for either a ball that loops over for him to look to get on the end to a one, a little bit of a slide rule, one that he can look to go on the outside. Thiago tries to play a couple of really expansive 40 yards, you know, which which showed Thiago's range of passing. I actually thought Thiago's passing was quite interesting. I thought it was a little bit different against West Ham. I thought he was trying things a little bit more, not just moving it quick, but also looking to, to play a couple more big balls in there as well. And I think that you got to really see that they they themselves were like, you know, this is how dangerous he is. And what was happening as well was because West Ham was struggling with it, they were getting all the encouragement they needed to keep looking for him all the time. Yeah, I, I'm not sure he, subtlety is in his top ranking qualities. I'm not sure if I was in and around him, I'd be looking to pop off one-twos and little <laughs> dummies and things like that. I, I think I think when it comes to his touch, it goes from the sublime to the ridiculous He's very, for me, he reminds me a lot of, and I've seen a lot of comparisons recently. Some people get a bee in the bonnet about comparisons. I'm like, have you seen what's going on in the world right now? You really don't need to worry about like player comparisons. That's like the fun bit. But Emil Heskey, first 18 months, was yep. sort of doing some weird thing, different weird things finishing-wise, but he was strong aerially. He could power past people in the channels, pace, something completely different. And and he reminds me a little bit of that in the sense that I don't think you'd want to be popping little bits and pieces from Thiago and Henderson into, into Heskey, say even peak Heskey. What you do want to do with Nunes is if there's grass in behind, you want to go and give him something to chase. It, it could probably be an average ball and he turns average into good with his pace. And then anything in wide areas, a decent ball in with pace. I mean, he can head the ball harder than I can kick it, which isn't that hard. <laughs> 
it's a challenge, but even so, he does add a ball out. Some people, I think, he adds it harder than Jordan Anderson can kick it, judging by Jordan Anderson's shots recently. And I think the thing for, I mean, Liverpool are learning the language, fitting in, getting used to how everyone plays. I think there's two things as well that Klopp has dropped Liverpool a little bit deeper with this four four two. So it means when we win the ball back, you do tend to see a bit more grass in behind than what we may have seen over previous years. You know, we've seen Salah getting in behind a bit more, particularly seen Nunes getting in behind teams. But also, you normally need two strikers to sort of query where the opposition will set a line. Um, think Owen and Heskey, you go, oh, well, you know, if we drop too deep, Heskey might hurt us aerially. If we go too high, Owen will get us over the top. Crouch and Torres, um, that kind of thing. Nunes does all that on his own because the problem is if you go too deep and invite crosses in, you wouldn't fancy 90 minutes of having to deal with him aerially. And if you go too high, you've got him running in behind you and, and causing you damage that way. And then that obviously gives the opposition midfield and all their other lines a sort of a disconnect. And, and that means also you can create more room for Bobby in between the lines. Which I thought we saw against West Ham, Sean. Whilst, whilst, whilst Nunez was on, it felt like Bobby had more room to function. Salah had more room to function. It felt like there was a, a Thiago and Henderson had a little bit more room to function as well. When Nunez was on, there was just more space between those lines. Yeah, so even if he's not involved, for want of a better word, for 10, 15 minutes, it might be that he's disrupting other areas. Like Carvalho, got, got, we got Carvalho in between the lines too. And I think with him, it's a case of just maybe changing a bit of his technique and getting him some more confidence because I think you get him in them areas. And I think I think he's just keeping things a bit safe and neat and tidy, which I get, you know, he's, he, he's not going to be wanting to lose the ball in them kind of areas. I think that'll come. Um, but you could imagine someone like Luis Diaz getting into them kind of areas. Uh, Jota, you know, obviously both huge losses. Um, and I think that's one... I think with even with Salah up there, I don't think it poses the opposition quite the same problem with the line because you have to play into Salah a different way and, you know, a different style. Um, I mean, something I would love to see at some point is Nunes and Salah together in this 4-4-2. Um, I think certainly against the weaker opposition. You know, just from a selfish fan point of view, <laughs> you know, it'd just be absolutely. I'd love to just see the two of them rowing. It'd be like a re, it'd be like a sitcom from the seventies. Uh, I think. I think between Salah, Nunes and Salah. I think Salah loves him. Uh, keeps passing to him anyway. Insists on it. Uh, Robbie West Ham. They remain a good side. They're not top half at the minute. I think they'll finish top half, and it's worth sort of remembering that. I think of the, there's the top six, and then they're in the next four. But we didn't quite. There is the late block from Milner, but it didn't feel like we fell over the line, which has maybe been what's been going on a little bit recently. I felt like we genuinely grounded out. Um, we were all able to have a little look at the league table for the first time in a while, maybe after the West Ham game. And my God, we're not as far behind City as we thought. Uh, <laughs> but it's more, you know, what it means there, the three points and, and getting back into the groove of of being able to have a quietish last half an hour, but still feel as though you've got enough in the tank. And I thought that that was a little bit different and a little bit better. Yeah, it really reminded me of a, one of the games from our title winning season. You know what, like where we had like quality opposition come to Anfield and they'd give us a game, they wouldn't like roll over for us whatsoever. Yeah. But we were just we were just switched on at all times. We we looked dangerous going forward, and you know you could argue we had a bit of luck going forward. I mean, I, I, don't get me wrong, I think the goalkeeper's done brilliant to save the penalty, but it's a great save. It, it, it's a brilliant save, it, but it's also a kind of like they're a lot, they're often a lottery, aren't they? You know, you know what I mean. And like you see the, the penalty at Arsenal, he's gone the right way. You know, yeah. technically got everything right, but it's 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 still gone in there. So maybe we got a bit of luck with with the save. I don't know, but 
it just it just really reminded me of that. And I think one thing that really has stood out for me for us this season is that like we just at times we just we just seem to switch off at key moments and this game and the City game looked like the Liverpool of nineteen twenty to me. It looked like the Liverpool that was serious like it's just a serious football team. You know, you know what I mean? It was like we will we'll ride shit out. Yeah, throw what you've got at us, but we'll, we'll stand strong and, and we did and I thought West Ham really came into the game. I thought Declan Rice was really good. That's the I've, I've never really been too impressed by him, to be honest with you, but he really stood out for me the other night. And I just thought as the game progressed, like he 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 started to stamp his authority. But even then, it was like the, the midfield, it wasn't like we were at sea. It, 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 it was a good hustle, you, you know what I mean? And um I, I just I think it in the in the greater scheme of things, I just that you said that you said we ground it out. I think that's exactly it, and I'd be more than happy with us doing that now for the next couple of weeks. To be honest with you. Well, on that, John, you know the the, the league position is the way it is. The, the weekend's games in the rounds have Spurs, Newcastle, City, Brighton, and that you know you expect a City win, but Brighton are top half at the minute and have been <laughs> knocking round and have, have took points off a few sides. And Chelsea, Man United, and the point about this is we're going to Nottingham Forest. We'll talk more about that game specifically in a little while, but it is that you know. Next weekend, there's another couple of sides who are around as they're all playing each other. This is the way this works. When you're when you're in this sort of dogfight, you can have certain weeks where everyone's playing everyone else, and they can't all win. No, and I read your 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 email uh, either today or yesterday around around sort of fixtures, and you know you don't want to sort of moan about it too much because you're not playing well. But we 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 have had a tough start to the season. If you look at the the the, the fixtures that we've had, comparative, you know, to the other teams at the top and. You know, eventually they've got to play these teams, and it looks like for a few of them, it's now where there's a we've got to run, which on paper, you know, looks like a lot of winnable games, really. So there's a there's a chance for us to, to you know, you were just saying there, the table doesn't look too bad at the moment, and it, and it certainly, you know, doesn't to compare to how it how it did look, you know, at, at one point where there's you know there's a chance that going into the World Cup. You know, it's 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 looking sort of stronger again. And even but, coming out of the World Cup, John, it's Villa, Brentford, and Leicester are the first three back after then. And I'm listen, they might all be in different places, and Brentford are playing quite well. <laughs> two but, of them will have different managers. You'd have thought so. <laughs> but you know, At the point is, the point three is, if one of them mixed the Brentford one. <laughs> <laughs> but the point is, is that it's all you know. It's it. We've had the we've had a lot of the sides that you can expect will finish in the top half. Uh, we've had a four of the sides that I think will finish seventh, eighth, ninth, and tenth have come to Anfield already this season. Those games are out the way. Now, don't get me wrong, we've still got to go to there gaff but that that is that is what the league table is currently saying yeah and listen and this isn't me making excuses because you know we've, we've done the last two or three years we were beating everyone and and you still expect you know liverpool football club to to if not beat everyone to, 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 to certainly you know beat more of the teams that we haven't so far so this isn't me saying that you know this is an acceptable points total because because it's not but but there are you know opportunities coming up for, for us to 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 you know, to get our average points per, per game, you know, up to, to to close the gap even further to the top, and and like you say, Neil, when they're playing each other like they are this weekend, they can't both win. That is a fact, and so, but we just need to do our business, and and but they look determined to do that, much more determined. And I agree with with Robbie's assessment before about it being a much more grown up performance, and they look like, and it's only listen, it's only two wins, but they look like they're back to finding a way, and they look like they're back to. You know, they'll find a way to sort of, you know, to, to get through it and to and to win these games. And I'm expecting, 
and they are certainly hoping to see that again on Saturday. Um, rotation in and out. His press conference today, Sean, was, was interesting about this. He mentioned disruption of rhythm during the game against West Ham. AJ in the comments says there was a fall-off after the subs, and I, I agree there was. You know, Someone else elsewhere was was, was being quite critical of, uh, of Fabinho when he came on, You know, called it a concern in cameo, looked a shadow of himself. Hopefully it's just fatigue from the City game. Um, the... You know, there's a lot in there. There's a lot in the Fabinho question. There's also a lot in the, the the question there around just what it means to make three subs. You know, how often have these footballers played games in their lives where three subs get made on 55? It's just not happened because the rules haven't allowed it up to this point. And I think that there is a bit of a rhythm point in there. I think taking Nunez off and losing that threat in behind obviously made a difference. But the manager is right, isn't he? If you are going to do that and he wants to do that to protect legs, you are going to disrupt the rhythm of a football team. More likely than not, yeah. It's not just the three subs. You're moving Salah up. And obviously, the way that the, the, the system was from Klopp the other night, he's very much tried to do a sort of 3-2-5 with the ball, where when we had it, Carvalho could go where he wanted. And I think when Jones has come on, he worked really hard. But I think he he didn't quite make them sort same sort of movements when he came on. And that might have been on instruction as well. They might have just wanted that to be a bit more rigid, to be fair to him. And then also as senior players, if you've got three coming on at once and two of them are youngsters and one of them's coming back off a long injury, you're not going to start firing balls into them. So you sort of you're not quite you're not you're playing without thinking before those changes, I think, as a senior player when you're Henderson and the like. And if you're Henderson, you're going, Oh wow, everyone around me's just changed straight away. And if you're Virgil looking up, everything's just changed straight away as well. And I think that combined with West Ham, chicken and the egg, the Liverpool drop slightly or the West Ham take a step forward, especially with Nunes not being there maybe in the, in the scoreline and, and think, well, there might be 10, 15 minutes here where they need to settle in and try and take a bit of advantage of that. So, you know, if you're chasing a game, of course, you make a treble sub because it's like you've probably not been playing very well, so why not? You've got nothing to lose and you need to send a message out and do something. But when you're, when you're leading in, in that sense, it's not ideal and it's really difficult because, you know, you are bringing on Curtis Jones out of duress, really, because of the injuries that have that have been there. I don't think they'd have said to Curtis Jones, this is the ideal rehabilitation for you. And he touches on that in his press conference today to basically say, Naby Keita won't be playing next week. But with the way our injuries are going, who knows, ultimately? Um, because I think what Liverpool will do is they'll be trying to gear these players up for 30 minutes and saying, how can we get them fit to do 30 minutes as part of the rehab? They'll be looking at how many high-intensity sprints they would normally do within that 30 minutes and trying to replicate that with drills as much as you can. The problem comes when Klopp goes, sorry, lads, that plan's out the window. I need you for 60. I need you for 90. And, and I think in behind the scenes, it'd be interesting during the World Cup to hear more about it. And this is why I caveat the Fabinho comments. Last year, Liverpool sports science team and the fitness, just on the eye test and everything you saw, it seemed like they had that nailed down. Noxley Chamberlain's fit for a long time, Kite is fit for a long time, right until Matip. the end of the season. Yeah, Matip. Right until Gomez as well, just not being picked. Right until the end of the season, everyone looks in good nick until the drop off. There's a few little rumours about changes that have gone on and, and different things they've done in the summer. And I, until you find out more about that and give uh, give them a, a chance to review that properly, because it's not just the injuries. At the start of the season, there's loads of players who look miles off it. And it, it's not just one or in one area. And I think if, if it wasn't for that, you'd be questioning whether you cash in on Fabinho, I think. I know you and I were sort of discussing that the other day, Neil, but 
I, th- I think there's so- I think there's something wider going on that they need to tweak and change there. Whether it's to do with the software they use, whether it's to do with the programs, whether it's to do with not having a doctor, <laughs> whatever it is. I-, I think until Liverpool sort that, I don't think it's fair to judge your Fabinho's and everyone else, especially now with the injuries, the load that everyone else has got to carry is greater. The manager's got to tiptoe through this next couple of weeks now. Well, on the tiptoe, Robbie, you know, he mentions that Kaita, you never know, could be next week. He certainly wasn't saying it's all the way now to the World Cup. He was pressed on that point in the press conference. That, to me, also suggests that Oxlade-Chamberlain could feature this week. Not to say I think he'll start or anything, but it, it wouldn't surprise you. It was interesting. He was getting uh, highlighted by the by the club's social uh, in the midweek as well in terms of what he was doing. I think three to five changes game to game at the minute is what we can expect, and Listen, I think it's going to be tough at the city grounds. I think they're going to want to try and be like Goodison Park. Don't get me wrong. I'm going to come on to do more of that in a minute. But my point is more, I think that, you know, he's got a couple of games coming up now where maybe, just maybe, he can decide to, to have a little look at a couple of players either off the bench or in the uh, from the outset. I think he'd probably quite like to get sufficiently ahead in a couple of games. Don't get me wrong. But I reckon we might see a few lads get another half an hour. It wouldn't surprise me, I'm saying, here to see another triple sub on 60. No, absolutely not. I think, as, as pointed out there, as Sean pointed out about Fabinho, I, but he just look. He does look tired, so you can't really make an, a sweeping judgment about him. Um, Oxley Chamberlain, in particular, looks just always chomping at the bit. I, I see in some of the socials they put out this week, Adam is shooting practice, and he just looks really intense. He looks like he's training with real intensity and you know and a focus. And I know it's a. The thing is, is when when these lads do get dropped back in. You kind of expect to see kind of big performances from the pair of them, and not necessarily just because, like you know, they're getting back in the team. I think they're both thinking about the long term futures. Both those lads, they're both out of contract in the summer, and ostensibly, they've got to make every minute that they get on the pitch count this season to put themselves. You've, you've just got to assume that they're not staying the pair of them, and they're going to want to put themselves in the shop window. So it's in their interest to actually, you know, to to, to try and hit the grounds running if they do get in. Um, so. Whether whether the manager might take that into account when he's when he's thinking about who he's going to pick, I don't know. Um, but I think the the midfield is it's, it's it's such it's such a conundrum for me because it's it's so obvious to us like who our three strongest midfielders are at present, but they as a three they haven't quite fired this season. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Curtis Jones started this week simply because. I think you'll. I think you'll start on. I think you start Saturday, or I think you start in Amsterdam. And it's worth remembering. A couple of years ago, he was great in Amsterdam. In your, well, it wouldn't well, surprise I, me if he starts either the next two. And I think my money's on Amsterdam. He scored a winner, didn't he, against them? He scored yeah. a winner against Ajax, and he, 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 he's not out of place in the game. Which is, that's going to be a very technical game. I think it'll be a very different game to the Forest game. I think that they're just going to try and put it up us and try and get into us and bully us in the way we have been at times this season. But so maybe not. But I just. I think with with Klopp is like I, I really I really feel for the manager this season because that the I mean, every every turn he's made with the midfield seems to something else seems to happen. Even the even the Arthur thing, you know, you get a midfielder in last minute on loan. It's pro- obviously not the midfielder that they would they've been they've been stacking all summer and then he's out for four months. So we can't even shuffle the deck in that in that respect. So whether he it's, whether it's a formation thing, I don't know. He might. I think you will see that simple change, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised if that simple change also accommodated 
a change in a formation, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, he talked about that today, John, in his press conference. He was, you know, closing gaps uh, the week before, not on purpose. We played a specific system. He went on to say, that's why we had to change a big thing and to start thinking you about it as a group and not telling him, telling him you do it differently. Because it's always a row of things that happen, different things that happen then. That's why we did have to do it slightly differently. It's not actually a big change, but it's a change of responsibility slightly. It gives us so much, so far more stability in different moments. Will we always play like this? In the last game now to get stability again, we changed to a four five one in the last few moments, so that's possible still. He's you know, he's not nailing his colours to the mask there, but he's interested in the press conference, isn't he? That he's you know, he's this idea that rather than get four or five of them to think about changing a little thing back to the way in which it was, he's sharpened them all by making a relatively bold change. I think it's quite an interesting little bit of management he's ended up settling on there and that he's prepared to be honest about it is also quite fascinating. Yeah, yeah, and, and it was it was interesting the first thing he he, he said when when he was asked about it was was the solidity wasn't it and it wasn't this idea of you know anything to do with with the ball you know the first thing he said when he was asked about you know what benefits of the formation it was it was it was solidity and it was it was space and it was it was what it's done for us off the ball because I think he's 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 almost felt and I think he's he's right if he does the you know we will create chances you know we've got these good attacking players and so even if the the attacking players isn't quite as fluid as it's been over the years and and you know we're not we're not you know quite as unpredictable and we're not interchanging and stuff like that he still backs the footballers on the pitch to to create chances and, and because of the quality we've got to score goals and so you know he's, he's looking at it very much as a well this is making us tougher to beat at the moment and, and we'll build from that and then eventually hopefully we'll be able to move to something you know a little bit closer to the the all fireworks you know all, all, all conquering formation uh he says sean just last round this up you know when you get used to things you 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 lose a little bit the desire for the detail and it's a really interesting little bit of language he uses there. When you get used to things, you you lose a little bit of desire for the detail. It feels as though he's, he's he's ended up with them, you know, when things haven't been great for the first six or seven league games. Where he's got to with them is what I need to do around this is I do need to find a way to knock them all, every single one of them, out of a little bit of not comp- almost mental complacency, not a complacency like, oh, we're always going to win, but getting them out of a comfort zone, getting them back fully engaged. And and, and I'm, I'm, I'm struck by that, by the openness of that there today. Yeah, I think actually he's getting, it's funny at times, I feel like he's getting more and more open in the press conference. And then I feel like he realises he is and then completely reigns back for a bit and goes completely... Shuts everyone down for three questions. Yeah, there's a little, <laughs> a little clap in there going, what are you doing? Uh, he's... It, 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 there's a Jose Mourinho thing when they go and I think they win the treble when they win the European Cup and they, they win the European Cup playing a 4-4-2 diamond and the pre-season before he felt things were just going a bit stale in training they played 4-3-3 for ages and his own coaching staff were like we're a bit bored the sessions are the same we're doing the same we're asking them to do the same and he was, let's jazz it up then and play 4-4-2 diamond. Now, he can get away with that because they can go and play that in the Portuguese league for three months and not really worry about it. But it, it, little differences. It's not that different a system, but the way that he played it anyway. But it, it sparked them and made everything a bit different. And I, and I think with this, like we all label the system in terms of what it goes on the board or the graphic or whatever. I think the main thing he's done, as John rightly said there, is he's gone, how can I shut these gaps and he's basically gone, your centre-backs can have it. We're going to let our two strikers screen the midfield a bit and just vertically try and close that space from their midfield to their attack. 
And then in transition, I think it's been really noticeable that he keeps Trent back now. We haven't seen Trent drifting into that right-hand side centre mid-channel or centre-forward as he as he did at times. It's been very much a three, sort of two, five. And when we lose it, they can get up the pitch a little bit against us. But we've got Virgil, Gomez or Matip and Trent back there. And you haven't seen teams getting him behind us as much in transition and getting him. Everything looks a bit more compact. And I think in the short term, that makes loads of sense. I think as you saw at Arsenal, the problem comes 20 minutes to go. I think you're looking at the technical area a little bit to go. All right, I mean, we, are you sure you want us to let their centre-back and keeper just have this now? Because we need this plan B. And there might be other games where, even at 0-0 in the first half, you want to sort of go for the throat a little bit more. And I, I suspect they're just thinking, get to the World Cup. And it gives us plenty of time to decide whether we go back 4-3-3. For now, we just need to stick with this. And, and there can't be any gifts in the first... Well, there can't be any gifts at all. But in the first half of games with this kind of a system, you can't offer any gifts. I think it's, really, it's a bit like the Julier system. I think it's really important you get the first goal. Okay, uh, excellent stuff. Listen, uh, the panorama this week was must-watch. Uh, Layla Wright speaking to John Gibbons in a second or two on it all, but everyone who's watched it's very much engaged positively with it. Wonderful work from Layla. Uh, here she is speaking to John, and then after that, we've got Lauren Lowsung speaking to uh, Harriet Pryor about Lo-Fi's return to the Williamson Tunnels for the Halloween special. That back-to-back, uh, but here in a second or two, we'll be back with you talking about the game against Nottingham Forest. And it is John Gibbons for Tour Live. And many of you, especially in the UK, will have seen uh, the Panorama documentary on Monday night, all to do with Paris, uh, title Champions League final, uh, What Went Wrong. Uh, I'm delighted to be joined in the studio uh, by the producer and uh, reporter uh, who you'll have seen, and also an old friend, uh, Leila Writer. Leila, thanks so much for coming in to see us. Thank you so much, John, for having me. I've tried for years to get on there. Thank you <laughs> And all you had to do was a Panorama documentary. <laughs> and, and here you are. Um, yeah, so it goes out on Monday night. So many people have seen it. The, the response, which I'll come on to a little bit more later, has, has been sort of phenomenal, which must be great for you guys. But but how does this process start? Because obviously we just see a, a programme, but, you know, I know Panorama, it, it's commissioned and, and things like that. So so when does the idea come about that, that you want to do something long form on this? So that, then how does that process happen? I was determined from the start, as soon as kind of Paris happened and... To be honest, I uh, was following it all day, seeing how amazing time you guys were having, seeing you and Neil on stage and kind of following the fan zone and seeing how phenomenal it was. Um, Dan Austin, of course, was uh, live tweeting. The uh, one kiss was uh, going all the way all around, wasn't it? And um, yeah, it looked like an amazing day. And then and then things changed. I was at home watching it with my mum and ours. My brother follows the Reds all around the world, always has done. And, um, and we and him had been having a bit of banter all day. He'd been having a great time at the fan zone. And then, yeah, suddenly was watching it, waiting for the match to come on. And then I was on Twitter and I thought, something's, something's happening here. Mm. There's a bit of a change. I've seen Dan's tweets going out saying that, you know, he couldn't get in. Um, my phone was lighting up, a few of my mates outside saying, hey, anyone at home know what's happening? Like, we, we, we can't get in. And I thought, what's happening on telly now? What me and my mum are watching isn't kind of what's happening in real life. And, I got, got back on Twitter then and Dan was outside saying he couldn't get in and this was happening for a while and I, and I was getting a bit panicky to be honest and my mum is the most scouse, chilled mum ever and um, and she said like try and get hold of Jordan and you know me and Jordan's texts have gone from like a bit of banter and you know have a great day Jordan to, to are you okay 
um, messages weren't delivering. I was texting all the lads, couldn't get hold of them. And like I said, my mum is the most undramatic mum ever. And she was just in the living room saying, "Feel something's happened here, like mm. I, I, I don't, you know, it's, 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 been, it's been a bit of a heavy week, to be honest, John, since yeah. it's been going out. And um, it's only now I'm kind of reflecting on it all. And literally, we finally got hold of my brother, Jordan. He was okay, he'd, he'd been caught up bad and he'd been tear gassed. And from then, especially when I seen the UEFA sign go out and say, you know, due to late arrival of fans and, and in the days and weeks afterwards when we seen that narrative start to form, I thought, I've got to do something about this now. And I've just moved to, to London literally about a week before um, for a brand new job with, uh, with you know one of my documentary heroes, a guy called Louis Theroux. Um, he's got his own production company and he just take me under his wing. Oh, amazing. And um, I know <laughs> it's funny because, you know, the absolutely amazing, amazing team, but... I went back to London a few days later, half fuming. You know, I was thinking, I was walking in the office and walking around London thinking, why is no one talking about what's just happened? And, you know, I, just before I, um, I went back to London, I'd seen our Jordan, I'd, see, I'd seen everyone come back, and it wasn't like the normal, like, oh, that was horrible. Because, you know, you guys go to European ways all the time, you're used to, you know, the police and people, you know, not treating you as the best. Mm. And it felt different this time, very, very different. Yeah. And I thought, how can I use my platform now and where I am to try and do something about this? That's what I was determined, basically, from the night to, to do something, and you know, obviously followed followed the fight back. That shouldn't have happened again. You know, we shouldn't be down to Liverpool fans trying to trying to fight back, but followed the amazing work by Dan Austin, by people like you know, Spirit Shankly, Joe Blott did some brilliant brilliant talking in the Senate, as did Ted. Mm. Um, so yes, yeah, so I was determined from then to do something about it, and then went to Panorama. Was it was you know a challenge getting it on BBC One? You know, I took it took took some convincing a lot of people but I was determined as were Mind House the, the team Louis team to get this and like I said from there we just knew that we had to kind of share this to the rest of the country really yeah because getting it on BBC One is, is huge isn't it because there's you know I mean there's a million channels now but for so, for so many of the much of the country you know those staple channels are the ones that go for and you know, taking it out the realm of not just Liverpool fans and not just football fans, but to the average person who's who's who sat on the sofa, who who watches Panorama, or, uh, and and making those people see kind of what happened on that night and, and taking them all through it is a really powerful thing and, and is important in in making sure these things don't happen again. My job as a journalist is to force people to to hear about stories that I think they should hear about. You know, that's my job, is to challenge perceptions and to make people care about stuff. You know, that, that's my job. And I knew that Paris, if people knew about it, then they would care mm. and that they should care. And like, and again, I kept thinking like, why? As soon as I've, you know, got getting that train back to London, I thought, how do I make the rest of the country, first of all, know about what just happened? You know, and I kind of realised how grave that situation uh, was. And I think, you know, the response since it's been out is a lot of fans saying thank you for making other people realise because we kind of came back and we were like, is it just so here? And, you know, kind of getting that process of thinking, how do we tell this now? Like, you know, there's so much, obviously, footage, so many fan stories. How do we tell this to literally make people sit at home? And how do I force this into the living rooms of people who probably wouldn't if they mm. had the choice? learn about it you know it was in may you know they've had time to, to learn to about engage it with and yeah 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 no he did a fantastic job of, of getting it to 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 the bbc and to panorama but also on the documentary itself and i'm interested to hear more about the processes of, of, of how you went about telling the story you've got 30 minutes which which isn't a huge amount of time and you know you wanted to to tell a narrative and i think you did that really well and, and the visuals were all really effective but also 
you know, nothing hits home like personal stories and, and you'll know that more than anyone. And so how was it finding those people to speak? How was it listening to them speak? Because, you know, you've just got emotional there remembering sort of trying to get hold of your brother and then, and then you, you know, dealing with very young people who've, who've had this traumatic experience. And so I've realised I've asked you about four questions in one there, but, but how was the process around the selection of who to speak to and then how did you find it when you were, you were listening to those stories? So as soon as we kind of got BBC One to listen and said, and, you know, they, they, they were brilliant. They said, you know, this is an important story, okay, you know, go for it type of thing. We, we think then of how, how do you tell this now? So for me, of course, on the night, there was so so much video footage. And for me, like, it was very important for me to tell this through the fans and by the fans. Like, you know, it's the fans that were there. And I remember having a very early conversation with Professor Phil Screeton, and he said to me, like, Leila, in these kind of situations, it's the personal testimony that needs to be listened to. And, you know, by then we'd had the French Senate hearing and, you know, of course, UEFA are doing their own thing. And I think if you look at them, um, where, where are the fans in a way sometimes, I think. And I think, mm. you know, of course, UEFA, they've just you know met recently in Liverpool with a select few, you know, brilliant fans. You know, the club are determined to kind of get them to listen to fans. But I thought, how do we tell this by the fans and put them at the heart of this? And it, so that's what we determined to do. So what we did is... I sat down for two weeks and collated every single video I could get my hands on. I mean, scoured the internet, people's phones, everything, and got it all together. And then with the team, we timelined it, and we made sure that it was like a forensic, how did the day develop? And for me, the most powerful way I thought to do it was to show how it had gone from this time in the fan zone to afterwards, and, and then the lies that came afterwards. So that's how we decided to do it, to kind of show how the day developed but through the the phones of the fans mm. um so that that's what we did there um and yeah it, it was tough you know it was then it was who who's going to speak we had so many amazing offers of people mm. who wanted to speak um we knew we only had half an hour it wasn't enough we, we absolutely fought for an hour so much but it's just kind of how telly and schedules work these things are decided so much further in advance so as soon as we knew that was a battle we weren't going to win getting more than half an hour and we, we chose our people then and for me Dan had to be there he's been obviously phenomenal he was mm. kind of the voice of the fans afterwards so for Dan was always going to be there um Jason McAteer I know who, he was incredible like so powerful Jason's absolutely brilliant and and when I spoke to him, you know, it was even like logistics, by the way, we had six weeks to make this happen. That's what yeah. I kind of think is why it's been so intense. Mm. Usually our documentaries work. And like I mentioned then, Louis Theroux is my my big boss and he's got his series coming out next week. And his, his stuff, as, as no, normal documentaries, you know, I know you guys are working on your own docs. They take about six weeks to edit. <laughs> Never mind to, uh, yeah. to, you know, we got the green light. And I thought, right, this has got to be on air in six weeks. How on earth are we going to do this? Um, so it, it was very, very intense, a lot of long days. But as soon as we had our people nailed down and Jason's been in the Middle East for a while and um, working over there. And as soon as he was back, I, I knew I wanted him to share his story. And it was, it was tough tough listening to them stories over 300 videos hundreds of hours listening to them testimony you do you go home and you think what have I just listened to type of thing mm. and I'm, I'm probably still processing it to be honest but you know I, I knew it was important and I'm glad it's had the response it has had. and having the young people on there I think is, is is really powerful as well because I think people especially people who don't go to football games like to paint football supporters as being in a certain image and maybe it's an image of me you know what I mean it's a it's a it's a fella you know um you know who's 
you know, likes a beer, goes with the mates, you know, 30s, 40s, whatever, kind of all, all sorts of going t- together. And, uh, you know, you see them as, well, they're the people of, of, of football grounds and, and they're the people who, who go to games and they might behave in a certain way. So, you know, they might drink this much or, or, or whatever. And, and, and those, those are a crowd. Whereas I think that is, is very outdated now. And I think, you know, one of those mistakes that the, 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 the Paris police made is they went in with a mindset very outdated of, of what a, a football crowd would be, what an English crowd would be, and certainly what a Liverpool crowd would be. And the the contrast between them and the in their riot gear and their tear gas and these families is like is it, I mean I'm laughing because it is almost laughable really. You're seeing, you know, these guys who look like they're, they're going into war versus these poor families, you know, these these kids who are begging to to just be able to get out of a situation because they physically can't breathe. You know, I thought, you know, the, the, the young girl who was, I think, 18, showing a, a bruising and stuff like that. And you're like, how, how are these how are these two worlds existing in one? And it, it's it's unfamable, but, but it happened. It, it did, it happened, and like, you know, li- listen to little Maxwell, who was 11, and he was talking about how excited he was in school with his mates telling them about it, and then hearing the reality, he said to me, like, you know, thought, thought I was, I thought I was dying, you know, when mm. you got tear gassed, I think, things like that, and like, I'm, I'm a journalist, I've been one, you know, for a long time, I've been pestering you in the Anfield draft for a long time, and I used to work at Radio City, like, you get used to hearing tough stories, and mm. all kinds of stories, and this one, it's like, what's happened there, they were going, should have been the perfect finale, to some incredible season, you know, should have been a dream trip, and kids are getting tear gassed. Jade had to go to the hospital when she got in because uh, bruises were that bad, mm. and uh, and things like that. When you think sometimes you have to zoom out and think, what what happened there? And simply lessons need to be learned. That's what it comes down to. That's why we've made the program, you know, putting pressure on the right people. Of this can't just happen, and then we move on, and you know, we have more Champions League nights. Like what happens now? Yeah. And that's it. And I think, you know, you mentioned before that, you know, a lot of people who've, who've been to European aways, you know, for, for some that might be the first, you know, final or, or trip, but for lots of us, we, we've we've put up with a lot. But I think there was something about Paris that made a lot of people, yourself included, because you've made a fucking documentary, uh, to go, we're not having this anymore. Like, this isn't, and there's something about, because cause of the extent of how we were treated by the police because it was such a big game because it should have been a huge occasion because of the price of the tickets let's be honest and how we should be treated you know because we're you know we're paying so much versus sort of how we are I think there's a, there's a combination of of factors that just led a lot of people and thankfully you one of them to just go no this isn't right we're not having this anymore we need to be treated differently and you need to do something about it absolutely you know our office is in the west end in London and after work, I'd come out and I'd be walking past like all these West End shows and people, you know, going in with the blouses, getting the bags checked and having like, I'd be thinking, your show starts in 12 minutes. No one's telling you you're late. Yeah, <laughs> and, and I thought like, imagine something happened to you. Like yeah. imagine like it wouldn't, you know, there's this thing where football fans, you know, they pay a lot of money, they're hardworking people and they go and spend a lot of money going to these events and they should, they simply shouldn't be treated like that. And it shouldn't even be a conversation. I should be in here now, you know, gabbing about, whatever about this brilliant documentary you know and stuff that you guys are working on and other things i'm working on but we're here because we're getting forced to chat about this stuff mm. because if we don't what what will happen yeah uh, if people haven't seen it yet in the uk it's available on the iplayer um people outside the uk is there any scope potentially in the future for them to be able to see it absolutely yeah we've just been sorted with um 
got some news coming basically about that. So I'll be able to update you soon on, on how people outside the UK can have a little watch. So people follow you on Twitter, um, and then you'll be able to make those announcements, I would guess. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm at Layla Wright, yeah. I'll Layla Wright on Twitter. Layla, thanks you so much for coming in. Thanks so much for making this really important documentary. And nice to see you as well. It's great to have Lauren Losung with us, DJ and friend of the show. Would you call yourself a friend of the show, Lauren? Are you a big tour fan? Um, yeah, I am definitely a friend of the show. So is my friend of Sean as well. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're in Dubai at the moment. So if, there's any, if there's any nice holiday background noise, then then don't hate us. Be jealous of Lauren's nice holiday. Did yeah, you have sorry nice, about that. Did you have a nice time watching the game with the Dubai Reds yesterday? Oh, yeah, it was great. There's a lot of people shouting who just didn't have a clue. Like, and me and the girls were just laughing at them. But, um, yeah, there's some funny comments getting thrown around. You know, like them fellas who just think they know everything, but they don't. <laughs> so we were just laughing at them. But uh, yeah, it was, good. it was a good laugh watching it here. Commitment from you guys late in Dubai. But anyway, let's talk about the event you've got coming up. I wanted to start and, and ask a bit about your career for people that haven't heard you speak before or not, aren't sure who you are. So how did you first get into DJing and what sort of the journey of your career been to, to be where you are now? Um, so I've been playing for, I think, around 13 years now. God, sounds like a long time when I say it out loud. Um, so basically, that was when I started playing out. But when I was 11, um, I got decks, um, like beginner decks from the parents. I was like begging them for my birthday to buy me some beginner decks. Um, and then I just used to practice on them all the time. And then when I reached 18, I went to uni in Manchester. Manchester met uni. And I just wasn't interested in uni at all um, because I've just started DJing and just found like my love for that was so strong and I was thinking like how can I make a career out of this type of thing um I just felt like it was me calling really because one of my friends rang me and was like this this underground basement club's looking for a promoter why don't you start a night and I was like listen I've hardly been DJing long like I can't start my own event but she was like oh come on I spoke to the guy and he's like really wants people to start events yeah um like even if it's just like a little student night so then low life was born basically so low life has literally been the baby that has grown with me throughout the beginning of my career through the 13 years um and you know we don't we don't do loads of events I'd, I'd say we do it quite sporadically and like I'd say quality is quantity with the events that we do we just do maybe like two three a year um and we've done like since then we've done them all across Europe and European tours um plan another European tour for next year um and yeah it's just been my baby growing in the background really while I've been doing my thing with my DJ career so and low life is your record label as well isn't it so tell people a bit about that yeah so um I started low life 13 years ago and maybe started low life records I'd say about four four or five years ago now um it's sort of vinyl and digital label vinyl is a bit of a headache because it it just really delays releases because it can take at the moment it can take about a year to get a uh, so vinyl records pressed so it's those things sound quite a bit but um we also do digital sales as well um yeah the label does really well <clears throat> all of our records have like sold out um we've had about five releases we're on fifth one now um and yeah it's doing, it's doing well the label and obviously we're going to be doing the tour next year as well um, some shows in the UK and then obviously we've got the Liverpool stuff coming up as well 
Yeah, you've got a big Halloween event coming up next week, isn't it? Now, so tell us a bit about that. The venue looks really cool. You've done a venue. You've done a night there before, haven't you? That uh, the Williamson Tunnels. Yeah, so we've got the Williamson Tunnels again. Which, to be honest, we were really worried because the last time we did it, well, the time before last we did it, um, we were told that we were the last show that was going to be there because somebody had bought it to like regenerate the area or something. So we were absolutely devastated because. We really thought we had a good thing going there. But, um, yeah, we got some good news that people had bought it and they got in touch and said they wanted us to run a night there. So, obviously, we were over the moon and, um, you know, took the opportunity to do it there again. It's like a it's a 19th century tunnel for anyone who doesn't know what it is. Um, there's actually quite a few tunnels in there. We did the tour once. It was pretty cool. It's strange to think that that's, like, on the middle of Smith Down Road. So, yeah, if you ever get a chance to go and visit it, um, definitely go and see the tunnels um, but yeah we we basically are running our low life show in one of the tunnels um, and it's a perfect setting for Halloween really it's quite spooky and eerie um, it's really intimate it's like super intimate so what can people expect from the night can you tell us a bit about who's playing oh yeah so there's a girl that you know very well playing that's Sean Bennett um, all of you, all of the listeners know very well. <laughs> yeah, so Sean Venice is playing back to back with one of my other best friends, literally been best mates with them since I was four, Chris Baxter. Um, two of them have played back to back, back to back quite a few times, and they really do a really very good warm up. Um, so they're playing like ten till twelve, and then I'll be playing back to back with a guy called Fabe from Mannheim in Germany. Um, <clears throat> people who are into this type of music will. Definitely no Fabe. He's a popular guy. He's a very, very talented producer and DJ. Um, me and him are very similar, actually, in, in the way we play and the styles. Like we're both into like more of the underground side of the house. We love a bit of old school. Um, we love like maybe minimally kind of tech house kind of vibe. Uh, we played back to back together a couple of times. We played at a festival in the summer, the Dream Valley, and we, the last time we actually played was off sonar for a huge fuse show in Barcelona which was absolutely unbelievable um by far one of the best gigs I've ever played and yeah I can't wait to do it all over again with them next week to be honest like when we me and him are on the decks together it's just like we have to bounce off each other great energy and vibe he's a lovely guy and yeah his tune selections on point so can't wait to be honest I'm guessing costumes are mandatory as well yeah they are I mean we've had couple of moans and groans here and there from our <laughs> friends like oh we got to wear costumes but yeah you need the costume I mean obviously if you really don't want to wear one we're not forcing you to but please get involved because you're probably going to look more ridiculous not having a costume to be honest because we're all going all out um, what, what, are you, to... what are you dressing up as <clears throat> I don't know whether I should say don't know oh, okay it as a secret it's people, but you have to get, or, or you have you to want... get tickets if you want to find out <laughs> yeah you've got to get tickets if you want to see me dressed like an idiot so yeah, that'll be that'll be worth the money. Um, how, how do people? Yeah, I definitely recommend. Um, so you get tickets on Skiddle. Just go to Skiddle. You can either, if you follow me on Instagram or if you follow Low Life UK on Instagram, there's a link in our bio. Uh, we're actually on to final release at the moment, and they've literally been flying off the shelves the last few days, especially. And the last week is going to go crazy. I'd expect it to sell out maybe early or mid next week. So just a warning for people if they are planning to come, get your tickets soon. Get your tickets soon. And then you mentioned the tour. Tell us a bit more about what you've got coming up other than the Halloween event. 
Um, so we've got a couple of shows planned in London um, and just keeping with the ethos of the brand, really. We like to keep it quite small and intimate, good sound systems. Um, we're planning a low-life European tour for next year as well, which I'll talk more about probably towards the end of the year. But uh, we're just that everything's just in the planning stage at the moment. And then we've got a huge release coming on Low Life, which we've been waiting a while for just because of the delays with vinyl. But um, it's a release from a guy called Len Lewis, 3Track EP. One of the tracks was already released, like a good, maybe in the 2000s, I think it was. And it's a reissue that we've been lucky enough to um, re-release. And basically the record was completely sold out. It was, um, it's actually on a, a platform called Discogs going for hundreds of pounds. And we're actually getting to release this along with a package of two other tracks and a remix from uh, this French guy called, um, called Trauma, who's absolutely incredible, like, one of one of the best producers of our scene at the moment, I'd say. So, yeah, we've got lots of exciting things happening. Um, I've got an EP coming out on Low Life as well, which will probably be beginning of next year. Um, and yeah, as for me, I've got some. I've got an EP, another EP coming out soonish. And yeah, just working on tunes in the background. You've had a mad summer. I thought you were going to take a bit of a quieter time in, in autumn, but it doesn't seem like you're slowing down. If you look, if you look back at your career, obviously some of the things you did over summer, if you fo follow Lauren on Instagram, are incredible. But is there a moment that you can pinpoint as your favourite so far? Um, I'd, I'd, before COVID, I would have said the best moment of my career was Space Ibiza, which it still is. I mean, it's probably on par with another experience I'm going to tell you about in a sec. But, um, yeah, when I played Space Ibiza, it was for the final season of Space. Everyone knows or have heard, has heard of Space as, like, one of the best ever clubs, I'd say, if not the best club that has ever existed. You know, it was proper sought after. Everyone wanted to play there. I got an opportunity to play there in the final season. I think it was 2016. Um, so that's, what, five, six years ago. <clears throat> um, actually got invited to play there with Carl Cox. And I think I've sp spoken about this story before. I think when I spoke to John, that's not the ball, people who've already listened to the last one, but basically I play played over there for Carl. Sean and I got to stay in his villa with Carl and with the, all the other DJs. Um, I took him a low life t-shirt and when I was DJing at Space, um, I was playing on the terrace and he'd come out with my low life t-shirt on, dancing behind me. And it was just like, a crazy moment for me because Carl Cox is like a god and a legend in the DJ world and like for him to come out with the top on I was like literally nearly crying um, and yeah it was just a massive moment for me because he came out and he was like wow the girl can play because he'd never seen me DJ before um, and yeah it was just a really special moment but apart from that I'd say a really <clears throat> standout moment in my career would have to be when I played at the first dance um, which was actually what John did the, the last interview about so yeah um, I got asked by the circus guys to play the first dance which was technically the first rave back after like a year and a half or two years of COVID where there was no touching no hugging no nothing and it was one night or one day where the rules just didn't exist <clears throat> um, I got to play one of the first tracks were, yeah one of the first tracks there were crowds um, and the moment was just pretty crazy like I, I picked something that was like really euphoric um that would take people on a bit of a journey something that was quite emotional I think 
it was actually a bit too emotional because I just ended up crying my eyes out when I played the first tune because it meant that much to me. Um, but yeah, that was definitely one of the best gigs ever because just seeing people together, dancing, you know, going crazy just because people had just missed that togetherness and just being together in the rave, which I think is just so important because it's so important for people to, you know, people have busy weeks and stressful lives and it's good for people to be able to just switch off on the weekends and dance and listen to music and just kind of get lost meet new people and I think it's what we've all been missing and yeah it was really special to be a part of that first dance so I'll probably say that. Does it feel a bit surreal when you look back 13 years ago and you're planning your own nights and you've got one a, a big one next week again it must feel like pinchy moments all the time? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think as a DJ, you're never really fully satisfied with what you've achieved or what you've done because you always want more, not in a greasy way, but I suppose it's just what led me to, yeah, it's ambition. Um, and it's, you know, anyone who wants to be successful will say that they're, they're never satisfied with what they've got. They always want more. But I do have those moments where I just stop and I just like reflect because it's so important to do that. And I think I'm so grateful. I'm so happy with the way my career has gone so far. Maybe it could have gone better, but I am satisfied. But I know that, you know, there's a long way to go for where I want to be. And, um, you know, the stuff I've done for well, this summer has been my busiest summer ever. Um, and I'm, I'm sure next summer is going to be probably even busier. But, yeah, I'm looking forward to it and I'm, I'm enjoying the ride. So <laughs> We want you in Istanbul on the 10th of June, DJing the Champions League final winning party. That's what that's- <laughs> That's the aim, isn't I'd, it? I'd love to do that. I'd love I to think do John's that. done it. So if John's done it, I think we can do it as well. I don't know how we got involved in that one, but we won't ask questions. Um, but thank you for chatting to us on holiday. It sounds like there's some kids having a lot of fun in the background. So we'll, we'll let you go. <laughs> Sorry, back. No, don't worry. It's all, it's all part of the atmosphere. We'll let you go back to enjoying yourself. Thank you for joining Thanks, us. Do go and get tickets for the Halloween night next week. It looks like a lot of fun. Marvellous stuff. Marvellous, marvellous stuff indeed. Uh, thank you very much to Lauren. Thank you very much to Layla, uh, John and Harriet as well in there as well. Well in, John. Thank you. Excellent stuff. Uh, lovely to see in here. Uh, we uh, are going to be watching the game in uh, the Canes Brewery pub tomorrow. Um, if you want to come down and join us for that, it's in the Canes Brewery Village, uh, just as you go up there on the left-hand side into the into the Canes Brewery Village down in the Baltic area. It'd be great if as many of you can join us as possible after we've watched it. By the way, we're not doing commentary or anything like that. I want to be crystal clear. I'm just going to be sat there miserable, as per usual, whilst the football match is ongoing. There's nothing performative about it. Shout uh, at referees. I'm going to be, there's a lot of shouting at referees. Uh, uh, that you'll 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 experience, um, and then but downstairs afterwards, they're going to do post match pints uh, in front with with the cameras, but with also with an audience, and there'll be some audience participation if the technology works. We're taking a flight; it's all free. Uh, we're experiment; we're dipping our toe in the water. We're involving you. You are indeed our guinea pigs if you come down. So volunteer for the guinea piggery uh, that is to come there at uh, the Canes Brewery Pub. That'd be great. Also, we've been nominated very kindly uh, for Fan Media of the Year in the FSA Awards. We would like you to. Vote out for us uh i mean i haven't sat down and looked at what everyone who were up against done across the last 12 months and i've got no intention of doing so this is all about gerrymandering uh get out the vote g-o-t-v the anfield rap uh if you can uh coming up so that is available for you there we're also going to be doing some live shows around the first weekend of december uh we're no longer the anfield rap we are the advent rap uh, for that period of time calendars will be opened chocolate will be eaten and you trust me dublin Belfast and Cork, tinsel will be worn. All of that is available. All of it is coming very, very soon indeed, but now Nottingham Forest. John, they are 20th. 
And when you are 20th after 10 games, 11 games, however many they've played, you can fairly say you are 20th for a reason. Yeah, I think I think that is that is fair, and it, it's not gel for them at all. You know, they've they've used you know an extraordinary amount of players you know already so far. I think the shouts on the pre-match warm-up was was twenty five um, players that they, they've used so far this season, and you know it's tough. It's been tough for the manager, hasn't it? You know, I think he could have expected a little bit more from from some of the bigger names. I think I think it's fair to say you know you look at how well, for example, Jesse Lingard. Did at West Ham and, and it's not really got going for him at all yet at Forest sort of a, a few others who've who've come in with with reasonable reputations um have, have, have not 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 sort of happened for them yet either Nico Williams is doing all right uh, every time I see him um but you know it's busy work so I've got pace yeah exactly but but I think you know they have found it tough and listen when they when they beat West Ham early on I thought so oh, that you know they're gonna have a good go here you know the, the atmosphere was it was incredible that day and and they really sort of used it and 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 big Tywo who we know from his well I say no from his Liverpool days he didn't play for us uh but his is uh, it Liverpool days with you and far between basically yeah it's his time out on loan <laughs> from Liverpool uh the Union Berlin days exactly yeah where we where we watched him from afar and cheered him on uh yeah <laughs> Oh, the memory, the glory shit. days. Yeah, oh, the reminiscent. Uh, nostalgia isn't what it used to be. Uh, yeah, I, I was, basically, yeah, it's it's they, 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 they look like they were going to have a bit of a go and then it just sort of hasn't happened really. And I think, you know, what this Liverpool team can do is, is hopefully just get on top of them, is hopefully, you know, grow those doubts that they must have at the moment. You know, they, they must be going into, you know, a lot of games, especially against teams like Liverpool, thinking it's not really happening for us at the moment. You know, what are they going to sort of do to us? And you can't give them any hope. You know, you can't give them anything that, to sort of get themselves, you know, you know, behind really. The, the, the no hope thing, Sean, is the is the most important thing. Listen, you know, the psychology of all of this. I'm <clears> so much happier this is half 12 than it being half five. The manager may not be, but I'm happier with it being <laughs> half 12 than half five. They are, you know, it is, it's arguably their biggest game. I think it'll probably be in the first one their supporters look for, uh, that and Leicester, uh, when, the, when, the, when, the, when the fixtures come out. I think it'll still be a pretty raucous atmosphere. It'll be a crowd that'll need to be dealt with. But ultimately, I'll say it again, they're 20th for a reason. But John's point is, it's encouragement and hope, and Liverpool have got to give them none of either at all points. Completely agree. One slight thing, though, I wish we'd played them a few weeks ago because they've tightened up. And yeah. they've changed a few things. They're not looking to get on the ball at all and play. They look to become a very deep line, passive. They've gone a bit noisy in a way. So yeah. passive, deeper, counter-attack. They've gone away from home now to Brighton and Wolves and conceded a penalty, I think. Yeah. I think they've only conceded one. But pretty solid at Brighton. The game against Villa at home, all right, it's Villa. They had a 0.00 XG, though, didn't they, at Brighton? <laughs> yeah. It's just low. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 it's not great. <laughs> it, 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 you rely on them kicking yeah. it in for goals. Yeah, unless you're Frank Lampard, there's a list of things you want, and that's not. Right. I actually think Frank Lampard's like that's our that's one of our KPIs, boys. <laughs> we want both teams to have 0.00, and it's bonus time. With Forest, I think. It'll be interesting what they do because it's a free hit and he's got the crowd there and it's been a bit miserable for them. So 
I suspect he'll go with what he's done for the last few games. He does not need a hide in. It's only good him saying that. It's trying to get 11 of the 30-odd that he might pick to not get a bit hyperactive during that period as well. And like you say, you, you can't give any encouragement because the crowd will get up and the players will get up. And again, it's a free hit on the TV. And it's one of them games where it doesn't really matter what they're doing. It's early enough in the season for them to treat this like a bit of a cup tie. And they're not far away and detached from people to, I don't think, have damaged confidence too much. I don't think Liverpool need to get out and start fast. I think for the first 50 minutes, Liverpool just needs to do absolutely nothing stupid and the ball doesn't go near our penalty area, and that's fine by me. For the and the ball moves fast, though, Sean. I don't think they, they don't have to look to push to score. What I thought they did brilliantly against West Ham was the ball moved fast. The ball didn't stay. The ball did the work. The players weren't charging around like maniacs, with the exception of the big fella. Everyone else, the ball just did the work all the way through, and that's what I think they need to do here as well, and just put that doubt yeah. in their minds. You can't live with this pace. And something they've done better for me is that they've played fast and fast and loose in the right areas so that if we are going to lose it we're losing it in the right areas where we've got a bit of cover and we can deal with it there and we like we need to go into this game with variety you know we need to hit a few of them diags a few long balls you know even if the big fella's not playing we, we need to get territory early doors and it doesn't matter if the first ten's born as long as they don't get any stupid free kicks around our box set pieces get the crowd up Give them a bit of belief. You want them thinking after 10 minutes, we're not really getting much right. of a kick here. You want them think after 10 minutes, Robbie, we'll have half time. To do that, then watch his team. I mean, he does Tiago on 55, which I think says to me, we're going to be seeing Tiago. There's a bit of, you know, the manager says that obviously he was feeling his hamstring a little bit, the big man. So, you know, that you feel as though he probably possibly wouldn't gamble, but it wouldn't surprise me if this is it. You know, he, he was feeling his hamstring at half time, but they were still prepared to give him the first 10 of the second half. Suggests to me that that's about as light touch as it gets within there. What are you expecting as the team? I, I think Robertson will come back in, um, in the back four. What are you expecting, Robbie? I'm expecting, yeah, I think Robbo left back. Um, I think he'll, I think he'll, I think, he, can I say he's not back? Is he, he's still out? No. I think he'll persist with, obviously, he's probably not, he's going to have to persist with Gomez. But I thought, I thought Gomez did really well the other night with the exception of the mad penalty, which he just fucking decided to like, decided to choke him out. Um, <laughs> and yeah, so I think, I think the back four, Trent as well. So yeah, I think the back four will be what it would be. Um, yeah, and I think, as you said before, Neil, I think, I think the midfield thing's going to be. I think you'll you'll see a lot of. I think we'll we'll see subs on the hour. So whether whether Thiago just gets an hour, I, which I actually think will be the case because I think he'll probably want Thiago against Ajax as well. So I think you'll see Thiago start with. Fabinho comes back in maybe for Henderson and then Henderson comes on on the hour. And Elliot, and I think you'll see Elliot. So because I just think you'll they'll just want to keep hold of the ball and as just say move it quickly. And I think if you've got. Thiago and Elliot in there, who you know are both lovely passers of the ball. I think that takes care of that straight away. The Nunes thing, if it, if it is just the kind of thing where he is fit and they're just a bit skeptical about it, whether whether it, with the hamstring issue, I think I think he'll probably get at like he's either going to get a half or if he's fit, I think he'll get a half. Um, if they want an early goal, but if they just think we'll just we can just kind of try and control him, move it quickly. I think he, he might you might just see him at the back end of the game, but I do think he'll feature because I just think it's like, as you said, it, it can't have been that with, with hamstrings. If it is if it is a issue, you're off because there's such a there's such a pernicious injury to deal with. So I I wouldn't I'm not I'm not too sure. I think he'll feature. Um, 
And I just, I think I'm, I'm not too sure on the other two, what, what he'll do with with the other two positions though, because I think Carvalho, I, I, I don't know whether he'll whether he'll want to save him again for midweek. I think I think Jones may well get the start left hand side. You'll get this one or Amsterdam. I'm absolutely certain of it. I'm not quite sure which one, John, but it'll be this one or Amsterdam. Yeah, and I think so. I think you know. I mean, at, at some points, you know, you might want to leave, you know, Firmino out because he's played a lot of a lot of minutes so far this season and things like that. So it do, it does feel like it depends on Nunes and, and where he's at. I think you know, someone in the comments mentioned, you know, he was he was a bit unsure in, in the presser and and you know, Jurgen, but I think he, he can throw a bit of a dummy in them in them sometimes, can't he? And say, oh, we're not sure, and you know, we've not. You can use the oh, we've not trained yet. And all that. Um, At times, you think he's never met them when he does that. <laughs> well, I mean, I might see him later on. He might be, he might be in work. I would say, is, he, is, he, is he down is to be in today? Yeah, is he on the rotor? Um, yeah, so I think, I think I'd, I'd maybe like to see a bit, a bit of four four two and, and and sort of you know, I say drop Bobby to the bench because he's played a lot recently. Do do Darwin and Salah or front. You know, they're, they're enjoying each other at the moment. So then it allows you maybe to go Jones left, Elliot right, and then. And then two of the three in the sense and I think that's a really strong team and and I think that's something that we could go for um, Sean uh, how does that all sound and do you think we're going to get the results it sounds good I'm not sure Jones missed sessions last week now who knows what the reason was for that I, I, that's why I was so surprised to see him come on um, so I, I would be surprised to see Jones start I I, I would expect Carvalho to start uh, I do not expect Nunes to be near the place in that if you take his comments at face value he had treatment yesterday and hadn't had the green light, which it's speculation, but you get the feeling they're like, we need to figure out what's caused this and we don't really know. Could just be one of them things. It's tightness and hopefully it is. And then they might start him if today. They go, listen, it was just one of them things. But if you think it's to do back, calf, anything like that might be a problem. Um, and I, I think I think we'll win. I think we'll win 2-0. I think it'll be pretty boring. I don't think it's going to be a. a, a I'm trying to get people down Kane's Brewery, yeah, Sean. That's going to be amazing. Like that's the <laughs> bit to go to. Like that's the big bit. To that's go the spirit, to. Sean. But the, the fixture itself will be the prelude to you know the main course, which is Kane's Brewery. <laughs> Excellent stuff, Robbie. We're going to win. Yeah, two 0 yeah. yeah, I think two 0 Yeah. Wow, a lot of 2-0, a lot of 2-0 love for the Reds. Uh, I do sort of wonder what happens if it is 2-0 on 60 minutes. And if both sides say that will do us all, thank you very much indeed. Yeah. Forrest have already got the worst goal difference in the league. They do not need that to be any worse indeed. Thank you very much to Layla, Layla and Lauren Harriet. We've had John here and there as well. Also, Robbie Shaw, it has been your tour live this week. Thank you very much for your comments as you're rattling all the way through. Just do all the things we ask all the time. Uh, although I thought the Anfield rap sort of comment there got a bit moody at one point. Look at this, look at this, John, look at that. Was that you? Was that you on your phone? Look at that. No, just no. Calling people out. That's been so live anyway. That, that, that didn't really work as an M piece for the podcast, <laughs> but we'll all be fine in the end. <laughs> <laughs>